Section 1 of the Book of Household Management. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sarah Jennings. The Book of Household Management by Isabella Beaton. Chapter 1. The Mistress. Part 1. Strength and honour are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Proverbs 31, 25-28 1. As with the commander of an army, or the leader of any enterprise, so is it with the mistress of a house. Her spirit will be seen through the whole establishment, and just in proportion as she performs her duties intelligently and thoroughly, so will her domestics follow in her path. Of all those acquirements, which more particularly belong to the feminine character, there are none which take a higher rank in our estimation than such as enter into a knowledge of household duties. For on these are perpetually dependent the happiness, comfort, and well-being of a family. In this opinion we are borne out by the author of The Vicar of Wakefield, who says, The modest virgin, the prudent wife, and the careful matron, are much more serviceable in life than petticoated philosophers, blustering heroines, and virago queens. She who makes her husband and her children happy, who reclaims the one from vice and trains up the other to virtue, is a much greater character than ladies described in romances, whose whole occupation is to murder mankind with shafts from their quiver, or their eyes. 2. Pursuing this picture, we may add that to be a good housewife does not necessarily imply an abandonment of proper pleasures or amusing recreation. We think it the more necessary to express this, as the performance of the duties of a mistress may, to some minds, perhaps, seem to be incompatible with the enjoyment of life. Let us, however, now proceed to describe some of those home qualities and virtues which are necessary to the proper management of a household and then point out the plan which may be most profitably pursued for the daily regulation of its affairs. 3. Early rising is one of the most essential qualities which enter into good household management, as it is not only the parent of health, but of innumerable other advantages. Indeed, when a mistress is an early riser, it is almost certain that her house would be orderly and well managed. On the contrary, if she remain in bed till a late hour, then the domestics, who, as we have before observed, invariably partake somewhat of their mistress's character, will surely become sluggards. To self-indulgence all are more or less disposed, and it is not to be expected that servants are freer from this fault than the heads of houses. The great Lord Chatham thus gave his advice in reference to this subject. I would have inscribed on the curtains of your bed, and the walls of your chamber. If you do not rise early, you can make progress in nothing. 4. Cleanliness is also indispensable to health, and must be studied both in regard to the person and the house, and all that it contains. Cold or tepid baths should be employed every morning, unless on account of illness or other circumstances they should be deemed objectionable. The bathing of children will be treated under the head of management of children. 5. Frugality and economy are home virtues, without which no household can prosper. Dr. Johnson says, Frugality may be termed the daughter of prudence, the sister of temperance, and the parent of liberty. He that is extravagant will quickly become poor, and poverty will enforce dependence and invite corruption. The necessity of practicing economy should be evident to every one, 
whether in the possession of an income no more than sufficient for a family's requirements, or of a large fortune which puts financial adversity out of the question. We must always remember that it is a great merit in housekeeping to manage a little well. He is a good wagoner, says Bishop Hall, that can turn in a little room. To live well in abundance is the praise of the estate, not of the person. I will study more how to give a good account of my little than how to make it more. In this there is true wisdom, and it may be added that those who can manage a little well are most likely to succeed in their management of larger matters. Economy and frugality must never, however, be allowed to denigrate into parsimony and meanness. 6. The choice of acquaintances is very important to the happiness of a mistress and her family. A gossiping acquaintance who indulges in the scandal and ridicule of her neighbours should be avoided as a pestilence. It is likewise all necessary to beware, as Thompson sings, the whispered tale that, like the fabling Nile, no fountain knows, fair-laced deceit, whose wily conscious eye ne'er looks direct, the tongue that licks the dust, but when it safely dares, as prompt to sting. If the duties of a family do not sufficiently occupy the time of a mistress, society should be formed of such a kind as will tend to the mutual interchange of general and interesting information. 7. Friendships should not be hastily formed, nor the heart given at once to every newcomer. There are ladies who uniformly smile at and approve everything at everybody, and who possess neither the courage to reprehend vice, nor the generous warmth to defend virtue. The friendship of such persons is without attachment, and their love without affection or even preference. They imagine that every one who has any penetration is ill-natured, and look coldly on a discriminating judgment. It should be remembered, however, that this discernment does not always proceed from an uncharitable temper, but that those who possess a long experience and thorough knowledge of the world scrutinize the conduct and dispositions of people before they trust themselves to the first fair appearances. Addison, who was not deficient in a knowledge of mankind, observes that a friendship which makes the least noise is very often the most useful, for which reason I should prefer a prudent friend to a zealous one and Joanna Bailey tells us that friendship is no plant of hasty growth, though planted in esteem's deep-fixed soil. The gradual culture of kind intercourse must bring it to perfection. 8. Hospitality is a most excellent virtue. But care must be taken that the love of company for its own sake does not become a prevailing passion, for then the habit is no longer hospitality, but dissipation. Reality and truthfulness in this, as in all other duties of life, are the points to be studied. For, as Washington Irving well says, there is an emanation from the heart in genuine hospitality which cannot be described, but is immediately felt, and puts the stranger at once at his ease. With respect to the continuance of friendships, however, it may be found necessary, in some cases, for a mistress to relinquish, on assuming the responsibility of a household, many of those commenced in the earlier part of her life. This will be the more requisite if the number still retained be quite equal to her means and opportunities. 9. In conversation, trifling occurrences such as small disappointments, petty annoyances, and every other day incidents should never be mentioned to your friends. The extreme injudiciousness of repeating these will be at once apparent when we reflect on the unsatisfactory discussions which they too frequently occasion and on the load of advice which they are the cause of being tendered, and which is too often of a kind neither to be useful nor agreeable. Greater events, whether of joy or sorrow, should be communicated to friends, 
and on such occasions their sympathy gratifies and comforts. If the mistress be a wife, never let an account of her husband's failings pass her lips, and in cultivating the power of conversation she should keep the versified advice of Cowper continually in her memory, that it should flow like water after summer showers, not as if raised by mere mechanic powers. In reference to its style, Dr. Johnson, who was himself greatly distinguished for his colloquial abilities, says that no style is more extensively acceptable than the narrative, because this does not carry an air of superiority over the rest of the company, and therefore is most likely to please them. For this purpose we should store our memory with short anecdotes and entertaining pieces of history. Almost everyone listens with eagerness to extemporary history. Vanity often cooperates with curiosity, for he that is a hearer in one place wishes to qualify himself to be a principal speaker in some inferior company, and therefore more attention is given to narrations than anything else in conversation. It is true, indeed, that sallies of wit and quick replies are very pleasing in conversation, but they frequently tend to raise envy in some of the company. But the narrative way neither raises this nor any other evil passion, but keeps all the company nearly upon an equality and if judiciously managed, will at once entertain and improve them all. 10. Good temper should be cultivated by every mistress, as upon it the welfare of the household may be said to turn. Indeed, its influence can hardly be overestimated, as it has the effect of moulding the characters of those around her, and of acting most beneficially on the happiness of the domestic circle. Every head of a household should strive to be cheerful, and should never fail to show a deep interest in all that appertains to the well-being of those who claim the protection of her roof. Gentleness, not partial and temporary, but universal and regular, should pervade her conduct. For where such a spirit is habitually manifested, it not only delights her children, but makes her domestics attentive and respectful. Her visitors are also pleased by it, and their happiness is increased. 11. On the important subject of dress and fashion, we cannot do better than quote an opinion from the eighth volume of the English Women's Domestic Magazine. The writer there says, Let people write, talk, lecture, satirize as they may, it cannot be denied that whatever is the prevailing mode in attire, let it intrinsically be ever so absurd, it will never look as ridiculous as another, or as any other which, however convenient, comfortable, or even becoming, is totally opposite in style to that generally worn. 12. In purchasing articles of wearing apparel, whether it be a silk dress, a bonnet, shawl, or ribbon, it is well for the buyer to consider three things. One, that it be not too expensive for her purse. Two, that its color harmonize with her complexion and its size and pattern with her figure. Three, that its tint allow of its being worn with the other garments she possesses. The quaint Fuller observes that the good wife is none of our dainty dames who love to appear in a variety of suits every day new, as if a gown like a stratagem in war were to be used but once. But our good wife sets up a sail according to the keel of her husband's estate, and if of high parentage she doth not so remember what she was by birth that she forgets what she is by match. To brunettes, or those ladies having dark complexions, silks of a grave hue are adapted. For blondes, or those having fair complexions, lighter colors are preferable, as the richer, deeper hues are too overpowering for the latter. The colors which go best together are green with violet, gold color with dark crimson or lilac, pale blue with scarlet, pink with black or white, and gray with scarlet or pink. A cold color generally requires a warm tint to give life to it. Gray and pale blue, for instance, do not combine well 
both being cold colors. 13. The dress of the mistress should always be adapted to her circumstances, and be varied with different occasions. Thus, at breakfast, she should be attired in a very neat and simple manner, wearing no ornaments. If this dress should decidedly pertain only to the breakfast hour, and be specifically suited for such domestic occupations as usually follow that meal, then it would be well to exchange it before the time for receiving visitors, if the mistress be in the habit of doing so. It is still to be remembered, however, that in changing the dress, jewellery and ornaments are not to be worn until the full dress for dinner is assumed. Further information and hints on the subject of the toilet will appear under the department of the lady's maid. The advice of Polonius to his son Laertes in Shakespeare's tragedy of Hamlet is most excellent, and although given to one of the male sex, will equally apply to a fair lady. Costly thy habit as thy purse can buy, but not expressed in fancy, rich, not gaudy, for the apparel oft proclaims the man. 14. Charity and benevolence are duties which a mistress owes to herself as well as to her fellow creatures, and there is scarcely any income so small but something might be spared from it, even if it be but the widow's might. It is always to be remembered, however, that it is the spirit of charity which imparts to the gift a value far beyond its actual amount, and is by far its better part. True charity, a plant divinely nursed, fed by the love from which it rose at first, thrives against hope, and in the rudest scene, storms but enliven its unfading green. Exuberant is the shadow it supplies, its fruit on earth, its growth above the skies. Visiting the houses of the poor is the only practical way really to understand the actual state of each family. And although there may be difficulties in following out this plan in the metropolis and other large cities, yet in country towns and rural districts these objections do not obtain. Great advantages may result from visits paid to the poor, for there being unfortunately much ignorance generally amongst them with respect to all household knowledge, there will be opportunities for advising and instructing them, in a pleasant and unobtrusive manner, in cleanliness, industry, cookery, and good management. 15. In marketing, that the best articles are the cheapest may be laid down as a rule, and it is desirable, unless an experienced and confidential housekeeper be kept, that the mistress should herself purchase all provisions and stores needed for the house. If the mistress be a young wife, and not accustomed to order things for the house, a little practice and experience will soon teach her who are the best tradespeople to deal with, and what are the best provisions to buy. Under each particular head of fish, meat, poultry, game, etc., will be described the proper means of ascertaining the quality of these comestibles. 16. A housekeeping account book should invariably be kept and kept punctually and precisely. The plan for keeping household accounts, which we should recommend, would be to make an entry, that is, write down into a daily diary, every amount paid on that particular day, be it ever so small. Then at the end of the month, let these various payments be ranged under their specific heads of butcher, baker, etc. And thus will be seen the proportions paid to each tradesman, and any one month's expenses may be contrasted with another. The housekeeping accounts should be balanced not less than once a month, so that you may see that the money you have in hand tallies with your account of it in your diary. Judge Halliburton never wrote truer words than when he said, No man is rich whose expenditure exceeds his means, and no one is poor whose incomings exceed his outgoings. When in a large establishment a housekeeper is kept, it will be advisable for the mistress to examine her accounts regularly, 
then any increase of expenditure which may be apparent can easily be explained, and the housekeeper will have the satisfaction of knowing whether her efforts to manage her department well and economically have been successful. 17. Engaging domestics is one of those duties in which the judgment of the mistress must be keenly exercised. There are some respectable registry offices where good servants may sometimes be hired, but the plan rather to be recommended is for the mistress to make inquiry amongst her circle of friends and acquaintances, and her tradespeople. The latter generally know those in their neighbourhood who are wanting situations, and will communicate with them, when a personal interview with some of them will enable the mistress to form some idea of the characters of the applicants, and to suit herself accordingly. We would here point out an error, and a grave one it is, into which some mistresses fall. They do not, when engaging a servant, expressly tell her all the duties which she will be expected to perform. This is an act of omission severely to be reprehended. Every portion of work which the maid will have to do should be plainly stated by the mistress, and understood by the servant. If this plan is not carefully adhered to, domestic contention is almost certain to ensue, and this may not be easily settled, so that a change of servants, which is so much to be deprecated, is continually occurring. 18. In obtaining a servant's character, it is not well to be guided by a written one from some unknown quarter, but it is better to have an interview, if at all possible, with the former mistress. By this means you will be assisted in your decision of the suitableness of the servant for your place, from the appearance of the lady and the state of her house. Negligence and want of cleanliness in her and her household generally, will naturally lead you to the conclusion that her servant has suffered from the influence of the bad example. The proper course to pursue in order to obtain a personal interview with the lady is this. The servant in search of the situation must be desired to see her former mistress, and ask her to be kind enough to appoint a time convenient to herself when you may call on her. This proper observance of courtesy being necessary to prevent any unseasonable intrusion on the part of a stranger. Your first questions should be relative to the honesty and general morality of her former servant, and if no objection is stated in that respect, her other qualifications are then to be ascertained. Inquiries should be very minute, so that you may avoid disappointment and trouble by knowing the weak points of your domestic. 19. The treatment of servants is of the highest possible moment, as well to the mistress as to the domestics themselves. On the head of the house the latter will naturally fix their attention, and if they perceive that the mistress's conduct is regulated by high and correct principles, they will not fail to respect her. If also a benevolent desire is shown to promote their comfort, at the same time that a steady performance of their duty is exacted, then their respect will not be unmingled with affection, and they will be still more solicitous to continue to deserve her favour. 20. In giving a character, it is scarcely necessary to say that the mistress should be guided by a sense of strict justice. It is not fair for one lady to recommend to another a servant she would not keep herself. The benefit, too, to the servant herself is a small advantage, for the failings which she possesses will increase if suffered to be indulged with impunity. It is hardly necessary to remark, on the other hand, that no angry feelings on the part of a mistress toward her late servant should ever be allowed in the slightest degree to influence her so far as to induce her to disparage her maid's character. 21. The following table of the average yearly wages paid to domestics with the various members of the household placed in order in which they are usually ranked, will serve as a guide to regulate the expenditure of an establishment. The house steward, from 10 to 80 pounds. The valet, 
25 to 50 pounds when not found in livery, 20 to 30 pounds when found in livery. The butler, 25 to 50 pounds. The cook, 20 to 40 pounds. The gardener, 20 to 40 pounds. The footman, 20 to 40 pounds when not found in livery, 15 to 25 pounds when found in livery. The underbutler, 15 to 30 pounds when not found in livery, 15 to 25 pounds when found in livery. The coachman, 20 to 35 pounds. The groom, 15 to 30 pounds when not found in livery, 12 to 20 pounds when found in livery. The underfootman, 12 to 20 pounds. The page or footboy, 8 to 18 pounds when not found in livery, 6 to 14 pounds when found in livery. The stable boy, 6 to 12 pounds. The housekeeper, from 20 to 35 pounds. The lady's maid, 12 to 25. The head nurse, 15 to 30. The cook, 11 to 30. The upper housemaid, 12 to 20. The upper laundry maid, 12 to 18. The maid of all work, 9 to 14. The under housemaid, 8 to 12. The still room maid, 9 to 14. The nurse maid, 8 to 12. The under laundry maid, 9 to 11. The kitchen maid, 9 to 14. The scullery maid, 5 to 9. These quotations of wages are those usually given in or near the metropolis, but of course there are many circumstances connected with locality, and also having reference to the long service on the one hand, or the inexperience on the other, of domestics, which may render the wages still higher or lower than those named above. All the domestics mentioned in the above table would enter into the establishment of a wealthy nobleman. The number of servants, of course, would become smaller in proportion to the lesser size of the establishment, and we may here enumerate a scale of servants suited to various incomes, commencing with about a thousand pounds per year, a cook, upper housemaid, nursemaid, under housemaid, and a manservant, about seven hundred fifty pounds a year, a cook, housemaid, nursemaid, and footboy, about five hundred pounds a year, a cook, housemaid, and nursemaid, about three hundred pounds a year, a maid of all work and nursemaid, about two hundred or a hundred and fifty pounds a year, a maid of all work and girl occasionally. 22. Having thus indicated some of the more general duties of the mistress, relative to the moral government of her household, we will now give a few specific instructions on matters having a more practical relation to the position which she is supposed to occupy in the eye of the world. To do this the more clearly, we will begin with her earliest duties, and take her completely through the occupations of a day. 23. Having risen early, as we have already advised, see three, and having given due attention to the bath, and made a careful toilet, it will be well at once to see that the children have received their proper ablutions, and are in every way clean and comfortable. The first meal of the day, breakfast, will then be served, at which all the family should be punctually present, unless illness or other circumstances prevent. 24. After breakfast is over, it will be well for the mistress to make a round of the kitchen and other offices to see that all are in order, and that the morning's work has been properly performed by the various domestics. The orders for the day should then be given, and any questions which the domestics desire to ask respecting their several departments should be answered, and any special articles they may require handed to them from the store closet. In those establishments where there is a housekeeper, it will not be so necessary for the mistress personally to perform the above-named duties. 25. 
After this general superintendence of her servants, the mistress, if a mother of a young family, may devote herself to the instruction of some of its younger members, or to the examination of the state of their wardrobe, leaving the later portion of the morning for reading, or for some amusing recreation. Recreation, says Bishop Hall, is intended to the mind as wetting is to the scythe, to sharpen the edge of it, which would otherwise grow dull and blunt. He, therefore, that spends his whole time in recreation is ever wetting, never mowing. His grass may grow, and his seed starve, as contrarily he that always toils and never recreates is ever mowing, never wetting, laboring much to little purpose, as good no scythe as no edge. Then only doth the work go forward when the scythe is so seasonably and moderately wetted that it may cut, and so cut that it may have the help of sharpening. Unless the means of the mistress be very circumscribed, and she be obliged to devote a great deal of her time to the making of her children's clothes and other economical pursuits, it is right that she should give some time to the pleasures of literature, the innocent delights of the garden, and to the improvement of any special abilities for music, painting, and other elegant arts which she may happily possess. 26. These duties and pleasures being performed and enjoyed, the hour of luncheon will have arrived. This is a very necessary meal between an early breakfast and a late dinner, as a healthy person with good exercise should have a fresh supply of food once in four hours. It should be a light meal, but its solidity must of course be in some degree proportionate to the time it is intended to enable you to wait for your dinner, and the amount of exercise you take in the meantime. At this time also the servant's dinner will be served. In those establishments where an early dinner is served, that will of course take the place of the luncheon, in many houses where a nursery dinner is provided for the children about one o'clock, the mistress and elder portion of the family may make their luncheon at the same time from the same joint, or whatever may be provided. A mistress will arrange, according to circumstances, the serving of the meal. But the more usual plan is for the lady of the house to have the joint brought to her table, and afterwards carried to the nursery. End of section 1